Hey, I'm Spencer Powell and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Jeffrey Staz of Resident. Jeffrey and his crew are based out of Charleston, and they are a developer and general contractor with a focus on urban infill and community revitalization. Now for my conversation with Jeffrey of Resident. Hey, Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to get into things. So give us some context. Who are you? What's the company and where are you located? My name is Jeffrey Stass. I'm the owner and founder of Resident, and we are a unlimited commercial general contractor in Charleston, South Carolina. So we cover everything from we do res and we do commercial, both upfit and new build. Cool. How'd you get into that? You said you're the owner. I'm assuming you started the company. When was that? We started in 2016. I I was doing something very different. I was a consultant for a large... I did brand strategy consulting in an agency in New York. And I did that for five years. Really just had some family stuff change. I lost a parent. I kind of put me in a place where I was definitely reconsidering what I was doing. And I'd grown up on a farm. When you grow up on a farm, you'd grow up building stuff. So I really missed building stuff and, uh, you know, just decided I really didn't like what I was doing. And so I went up to Hudson, New York. We were in New York City at the time, which is about two and a half hours north of New York City. I bought a historic home and we did a gut renovation of that. And then when that sold, we made the decision to leave New York and spend about six months looking for a new city, which is how we ended up in Charleston. Gotcha. As you were doing that city search, what were you looking for and why'd you land in Charleston? That's a great question. So my big thing with building, and this is probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten, right when I was starting out, a president at Toll Brothers told me that real estate development, construction, the whole industry is largely reflective. And what that means is that it really reflects the economic conditions around here. Mm. So it, the business reflects the economic and demographic conditions around here. What I was doing in, in Adland was demographic and psychographic research. So I started, I was looking for places with a broad and deep employment base, growing population, and growing wages. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a very data-driven approach. And yeah, we'll get into kind of the first few years and everything. But yeah, that's that's good advice. I never heard of it framed that way, but it makes a lot of sense. So once you move, move down there, what was that first year like? 
So the first year, so fun fact, New York is basically a completely unregulated construction market. Hmm. So there's no such thing as a licensed general contractor in the state of New York. <laughs> so my first year, my first year was spent getting my license here. And, you know, I, I wanted to be in flipping new home construction and development. So I did a spec home here. And yeah, so that was like my first two years really was putting that together. And I really didn't start taking clients until right before COVID, like 2022. The first time I started taking clients, you know, and that COVID year was really tough and sort of slowly built from there. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you started taking on clients, did you go at that from a place of like, I want to focus in certain areas or was it more just, Hey, I'm trying to get my name out in in a new market. So I'll kind of just get my foot in the door wherever I can. Good question. It was a series of things. First, we ended up moving into the spec house that I built. So I needed to buy groceries. Second, I, I wanted more reps in the build. So, you know, between those two things, it was needed to start generating some income. I wanted more reps on the build side. And that's really what led me to start bringing on or accepting client work. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And so as you started to go down that path, like, what were maybe some of those initial hurdles and challenges, you know, working with the first several clients, like any type of business, whenever you like go into first time product delivery, like it's a whirlwind, it's a lot of new stuff. So I'm curious, what were the the hurdles for you? Yeah. I mean, listen, I made, it's like a miracle. I'm still in business. <laughs> I mean, I've made every possible mistake you can make as a builder. You know, I think you know, first couple of clients obviously wasn't priced correctly. You know, I tried to do it cost plus, and this is not a market that really supports cost plus. And really, like, we could probably spend an episode on how to price and sell work and, and why I think that cost plus is horrendous. But, you know, outside of the super luxury market or the Northeast, I think cost plus is pretty untenable. And largely that is because. If you're in a market where most of the work is done by subcontractors, it's very, very difficult to mark up the product enough to make it work. Yeah. You know, if you're in a pure subcontracting market, you really need to be marking up 60%, 50%. And anything less than that, you're going to be losing money. And because of the internet, everyone thinks that it's 25%. And that is true in New England. But that's because that other 25% of cost is captured by W-2 employees, fully burdened W-2 employees. So all of that extra, you know, literally another an additional 25% is captured elsewhere in the estimate. And in the Southeast, that's not the way it's done. So it's very, it becomes very difficult to, to put together a proposal that will support cost plus work. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm curious too. I, I know you said you made like every every mistake there was to make in the first, you know, year or two transitioning from agency world to starting your own business and getting that off the ground. Like what's been maybe the most rewarding part of that transition and you know doing what you're doing now? I mean construction's fun. 
like construction's super, super fun. And we've built some really, really cool stuff. And we continue to build really cool stuff. So it's very tangible. It's very creative. It's got a fun culture and a fun subculture. How would you describe the culture or subculture? I find the construction industry to be very, very honest and very, very optimistic. You kind of can't, it's so hard that you can't sustain it unless there's some other thing, you know, if it's just about money, there are better ways or, or probably easier ways to make money. But I think construction is one of the more interesting ways to make money. And then, you know, moving from a pure consulting role to product delivery, it's nice to have a product. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a thing that is there that was not there before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very distinct difference there because yeah, strategy and consulting is, you know, a little wispy, you know, it's hard to put your, put your finger on it, but you know, a house, a lot of PowerPoint other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've been at this, you know, since the, the move and everything six ish years or so, what, what do you mm -hmm. think has been the toughest part about like growing the business from, you know, I'm getting my license to now I'm like trying to build this thing up. You know, the numbers, really understanding your costs. You know, it's, it, it's a combination of costs and estimating continues to be really hard, especially in the last few years when it's been so volatile. Yeah, it's been a nightmare. So that's been, that's been challenging. In my market, there's plenty of opportunity. You know, finding the right opportunities at the right price is always a challenge. But I, I have found that... Uh, the more sure I am of what something should be priced at and the kind of work that I want to do, the more those opportunities present themselves to me and, and to the company. Yeah. Yeah. Moving forward, you know, it sounds like you do some different types of projects now, but where are you trying to take the company? Is Are you trying to focus on just a, a certain type of project or certain type of client or what's your vision over the next like three years or so? So I think for on the client side, we over the next few years will we'll likely exit the residential space and go, if we're going to be a general contractor, it'll probably just be commercial. And then on the development side, I love doing infill historic development. It's really, really fun. It's really, really interesting. Charleston is an amazing city. There's plenty of work left to do. And we've kind of got ourselves a nice niche where we're right between what I would think of as a real flipper and a big time developer. We're going into projects. If it doesn't need structural work, we're probably not going to be in there. So we go in really studs out renovations, the sort of thing that small time flippers don't want to do, homeowners don't want to do, but that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity if you do it right and to be on the other side of it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're starting to carve that niche out, which I feel like you, you got to do from a marketing perspective. And I'm sure I'm curious to just like get your take on coming from agency world and then into starting your own construction business. Like how have you been able to use some of that experience from your previous role into what you're doing now? Do you feel like that's served you or... Has it just been totally different that you haven't really taken that much from it? No, it's it served me 
very, very well in none of the ways you would expect. Hmm. Okay. You know, think one of the things you get very good at in agency world is you start to really understand people's psychographics, the the things that are going to motivate them that have nothing to do with their age, their race, their sex, or how much money they make. And those are generally the most salient things. So right from the get-go, I've kind of understood that for most people, price is not going to be the motivating thing. And and frankly, if it is the motivating thing, I can already tell them that I will not be the best priced. Yeah. I will not be the cheapest. I'm no interest in being the cheapest. And then there is, on the other side of it, we have a very, I, th- I think very oftentimes we come to certain large data sets with a, a sort of different perspective and a different point of view. And certainly on the development side, that's, that's super helped us. You know, I really like to have something be self-fulfilling. And the, the best way to do that in construction is through the creation of culture. So if you can get into a neighborhood or an area and you can start to create an, its own vibe, its own culture, then you start to come to yourself. And we're better at identifying the drivers of culture and where those things are going to hit. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. That's definitely yeah, a unique take on it and something I definitely don't don't hear often. So I like I like that positioning of it. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. Gonna pivot on you. You got any just like wacky client stories or crazy projects that you've bumped into over the last several years? I mean, yeah, we've done, I mean, we did, you know, ground up renovation of a building that was done in 1794. Wow. We were the first, you know, we were the, we were the, it was built and it hadn't been touched until we got in there. So, you know, that was super wild. We, it's a really busy market right now, and especially has been a really busy market. So we've seen a lot of just bananas, banana stuff. Some of it great, some of it not so great. We've come into some some places where 
you know, it's a total loss. You've got a, a floor system framed in two by six, four by four girders with wall sheathing for subfloor. So, we, we, you know, we've seen a, a fair amount of, you know, and then in, the, in, in sourcing and finding deals, we've come across some sort of super interesting people and, and sort of interesting stories. You know, so each each project that we get into tends to have its own vibe and story and kind of interesting thing around it. Yeah. Is there a particular story that like stands out that you can share? You know, I've got a good karma story. My first project. So my first project didn't go great. I made like a thousand dollars in seven months. Wow. And part of it for a number of reasons, but you know, going through that, the painter of that, she was going to blow past the budget. She's super young at the time. And I was just like, you know, I'll be fine. You need to make sure that you charge me what it's supposed to charge me. And it hurt a lot at the time. And then a year, like 18 months later, I got a call from the GM of a car dealership. And she had recommended to me to that. And subsequent to that, we have done well over half a million dollars with that dealership. And we are about to do a full ground up dealership build that's going to be more like a brand experience center cool yeah so it hurt at the time but it's, it's probably going to turn into you know many millions of dollars worth of work for us yeah you never you never you never know i feel like uh, with those types of things the like karma does come back around but just the timing is what you never know like is it going to be a year later or seven years later or you know but doing good always is, is a good thing yeah, we're pretty fastidious about doing the right thing, which is another reason that cost plus doesn't actually work. I think that cost plus really handicaps you from doing the right thing. I think it kind of makes it quite difficult. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, what what's your take on like the next couple of years, just more macro level of the industry? We've gone through a lot of hurdles and challenges the past 18 months, 24 months. Like, what do you think are the things on the horizon that we all need to be paying attention to? Well, first, you know, the, the housing, like the housing crash bros are wrong. They're very wrong because they don't, either don't care to, to read the data or understand what it's saying. So, you know, fundamentally, we have more people than there is housing. And that is not going to change. And then to aggravate that trend, we also are facing a fairly acute labor shortage, not just in like hammer swingers, but throughout the entire industry. You know, there aren't enough remodelers, there aren't enough general contractors, there aren't enough painters. The whole industry is is struggling. So, you know, I'm super, super optimistic. I think in many ways, you know, the, the last couple of weeks, months, this period of rate adjustment has been good. It's given everyone a, a moment to take a pause, let some new supply come online, let some new sawmills come online. And, you know, we're already starting to see that in the, in the lumber market. And I've got board feet coming back down. It was like 498 the other day. In March, it was 1600. So, you know, I, I think fundamentally, the the industry itself is great. It's going to be region by region, town by town, because it will need population. It needs population and jobs. So if you're in a place that's got 
population and jobs, you're doing really well. And if you're in a place that does not have population and does not have jobs, it's really, really hard to make a living. Yeah. I know it's so interesting how much of it comes back to just data, data and demographics, you know, it's kind of flows into everything else, right? I mean, supply chain and supply demand is is a big factor, but the demand piece ties into demographics. And so, yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really hard to create demand for construction. It's not like a a software product where, oh, hey, there's this new thing called shelter. (laughs) You know, it's like... (laughs) There isn't that. So if the fundamentals that create demand for housing aren't there, it, it's tough. It's going to be a tough market. I think productivity in the industry is going to be really interesting to watch. I think some of the ways that I think some new technology is going to be really interesting. And again, like not any of the technology that folks are thinking about or talking about. Like offsite construction, I think, is pretty dumb. And modular construction is kind of dumb. We have modular construction. We have a kit of pieces. It's called Dimension Lumber. You can assemble it pretty much however you want. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people in the country know how to assemble it. So we already have modular construction. Moving it into a factory does not gain that much, especially compared to the risk. And then some of this, like the concrete printed houses, they're cool. I don't think they have a hugely lasting market application. You know, exterior walls are about the easiest thing to build. So it's like, great, you can stand up exterior walls. That is not the problem that we are facing as an industry. I think things in like some augmented reality stuff, I think that will be super, super interesting and drive a ton of productivity throughout the industry. I think there are going to be some new materials, like the material science of the business. It's already come a long way. And I think that we're going to have so much more to play with and as we have a better sense of or get better with, you know, bio-based manufacturing or synthetic biology as a manufacturing process and practice. So, you know, yeah, the, the macro industry is going to be great. You know, if you're trying to remodel, the next 18 months are probably going to be the, for a consumer, the best 18 months to remodel for the remainder of my lifetime. Once we're through this, the numbers just aren't on your side. There's a huge, there's two big population bulges in the millennials and then followed right on that with the Zoomers. They're going to hit, you know, because of 2008, like I'm an elder millennial. So 2008 delayed home buying for a large cohort of the population. So if you think of us as like a bell curve, you got two bell curves, but 2008 compressed this one and then 10 year bull market sped up this one. So we've got a lot of people coming into the housing market or the remodeling market at a time when there just isn't supply. Yeah. And bringing supply to the market's really hard. I think that the, the one thing that I definitely notice that is very different about this business than other businesses, most professionals don't have any experience with a tangible or physical thing, right? Like if you're a lawyer and you screw up, it's two keys on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. You're a consultant and you got to make a new deck. You know, it's control M and you're on to the next thing. So, you know, I hear a lot of like, oh, you know, you just, you know, you, you just moved that wall. It's like, well, 
That wall is eight inches of concrete and steel. Like it doesn't just go anywhere. You know, I, I think that that as, as more and more and more of the workforce is knowledge-based with no physical product representation of that knowledge. I think general contracting is going to become a very odd, it's going to continue to be a very unique thing where it's super high knowledge work and then there's a physical thing and you have yeah. to be accountable to both. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That's yeah. Those are great observations. And yes, yeah, I think it'll be really fascinating to watch the rest of this decade and kind of how that plays out. I agree with you on like all the the housing bros, as you described them, talking about the crash and everything. Because yeah, the shortage of homes is just still so large. Jeffrey, wrap us up. There's hundreds of other remodelers that listen to this. And what's like some party words of wisdom or a final piece of advice that you'd want to share, you know, something you've learned from your journey that you want to pass along? Yeah, I think as builders, our first priority ought to be to the project and then to our subcontractors. And to the extent that clients come into it at all, they should be like fifth. You know, it should be the project, your subcontractors, your family, your dog, your neighbor. And I, I, that sounds sort of harsh, but let's be real. Like, most of our clients have no idea what you're talking about or what they're looking at. And they're going to ask for dumb things or try to insist on dumb things or unsafe things. And, you know, it, it's up to us to determine what our built environment looks like. What kind of communities do we want to live in? You know, if we're okay building junk, we're going to have junky communities. And if we insist on a higher quality and a different ethos, then we're going to have better communities with a more positive ethos. It is actually that simple. So I hear so many, I hear a lot of clients complain about folks, I, you know, my contractor took a shortcut, my contractor took a shortcut, my contractor took a shortcut. I really strongly, strongly encourage everyone out there. It's so easy to not give in to what your client wants and to focus instead on what is best for that project, that product. What is the best solution there? Because let's be real, your work is going to outlast your client. Your work is going to be there after they've moved. So if you build a shitty bathroom, well, then you've now imposed a shitty bathroom on your entire town. Don't do that. Build cool stuff, build good stuff. And if people want you to build crappy stuff, then don't build for them. And if people don't have the money to to do it, then then you know they need to save. Yeah, keep saving. And there is like there is like a real affordability issue, which mm-hmm. I completely understand. But that's more macro related. If we think about construction, like construction generally shelter generally pretty closely tracks to inflation. And if you look at our wages, we have really elastic wages. And that's because we do not have a concentrated industry. Every single person listening to this has had a sub leave one of their jobs because somebody else offered them a little bit more. That is a super elastic, high-functioning industry. And so our wage growth is, is really strong. In things like healthcare, where you've got a lot of concentration, or tech, where you've got a lot of concentration, you actually see downward pressure on wages. So I think the, the broader American economy could do 
could learn a lot from the the way the construction industry operates because it's about the most perfect free market we have in the country. Right even the you know, just like look at the spread between like the really expensive guy and they're like chucking a truck. That spread is not that much. And it would be like, you know, what is it? 30% is the spread. If you look at any other, you know, look at a concentrated industry, it's a 500% spread, 600% spread. So, yeah, I mean, I think builders, you know, do what's right for your community, do what's right for that project. And unfortunately, it's just not our responsibility to make sure that the country can afford the shelter it needs. Yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of earnings. It's not a, there's not a lack of money. It's that the money is not being distributed such that shelter broadly affordable. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, Jeffrey, I really appreciate your time today and sharing your your journey and your uh, I feel like we weaved in some like macro economic factors which I find really fascinating. So, thanks for carving out the time with me. Yeah, I mean the whole business is macroeconomics. It's like sticks and bricks and then macroeconomics. Yeah. Get those two things right. But yeah, I mean, it's an awesome industry. It's super fun. If you're a good builder, come to Charleston. There's tons of work. We need more people. And if you're in a, I grew up in a town that lost population and it was hard to leave, but it was the right choice. So if you're in that scenario and you're young, it's a good thing to look at. You know, like my mentor is one of the best contractors in Hudson, New York. He's struggling. Yeah. It's losing losing people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good advice. And yeah, thanks again, Jeffrey. Yeah. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.